From across the pond, this is Off the Record with Big C. With Big C of this week and Off the Record, thank you very much, Shaggy. We have, of course, Stinky Pete and we have Austin. Hi to both of you. We really are rocking all over the world tonight, of course, with uh, Shaggy being in Cleveland, Ohio. As myself, Big C, in the city, yes, the city of Chelmsford in the United Kingdom. And, of course, we've got Austin in Melbourne, Australia. And Pete, this week, is in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. So we really are stretching worldwide with the show this week. So, hi, guys. How are you both? Very good. Warm, enjoying the sun, having a swim each day, getting a little walking in. It's good. It's all right for some, isn't it? And what yep. about you? Yeah, all right. Yeah, it's uh, it's coming, uh, coming right into spring now. Yeah, it's pretty nice. You can see, well, obviously, the sun is streaming in through the window, so it's happy. happy yeah, to, uh, like the old like old times when we when we started uh, when you were on for the first few when you had the light shining in your face. Okay, well, we'll we we might be pressed for time, or Austin might be. So he might be leaving us a little bit before the end, unless unless we really get our skates on on the subject today. Um, we uh, the end of a well. Let's yes talk about music. We've had a couple of bad weeks, obviously, with uh, the 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 loss of, of course, Queen Elizabeth II. But Pete lost his father, and we we mustn't forget, of course, that Austin also lost his dad in the last two or three weeks as well. Uh, so yeah, my condolences go to both. Hopefully, both of the funerals went um, as well as could be expected. Subject matter this week: we are dealing with albums. Released in the year 1972, a very good year for for music. Um, certainly for me personally, it was a good year. It's when I, the year I started really buying into singles, uh, um, mainly singles actually, when I was about 12 years old. Um, but it was like the start of something for me musically when I actually started buying stuff myself or well, that's what i feel anyway that's what, what what happened good year for both of you too i'm sure i'm sure you had trouble with this with this year yeah it was an interesting one this because i think you know we've done we've done 71 before haven't we and we've kind of had the conversation that many people have had about that being music's finest year um and i, I think having now done 72 it's close but i think that for me 1972 uh, in particular was the year that prog really took off. And with me being a big prog fan, then I think really? 1972, yeah, did you know that? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I think 1972 was really the year where it kind of went stellar. So, was 71, uh, sorry to interrupt there, Peter, was 71 the best music year or was it like, I always think of it as like the best sort of rock album year. Oh, I think it was music generally, wasn't it? Music I don't generally, think okay. that Marvin Gaye was rock. I think you know, if you look, I don't think. Yeah, no, we talked about it. Yeah, yeah. There's lots okay. of stuff. There's seventy one's the best, but anyway, I think for I think for rock and for particularly for prog rock, seventy two is uh, yeah is 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 the year. And a good year for you too, Austin. I'm sure. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's long uh, been one of my favourite years for music. Uh, I've done not threads, but certainly um, d- done a couple of tweets uh, o- talking about this year in particular. Um, and it's funny because uh, 
I I actually kind of think of the the musical timeline in terms of Led Zeppelin. Like that's how Led Zeppelin centric I am. And they didn't release an album that year, uh, so it's it's kind of weird not having them in there when there is so much other great rock uh, that that came out. So. Uh, well, yeah, probably. In fact, I I, I, I might favour it for albums over 71. Um, interesting. Yeah. Okay. I certainly would. Singles, actually, 72 over 71. But anyway, so we, yes, let's, let's get cracking with it, I think. And I, I, I personally have tried to omit some sort of, I would say, probably obvious choices that, that, that maybe could or should be in there, certainly critically acclaimed albums i won't list them i've got a list of about 10 at the end which i'm i'm sure that one or two or both of you will maybe have in your lists anyway um, well, i've done exactly the same as you i've not included the obvious ones either and i've put them in my list at the end too so I okay so at least they'll get a mention uh we've mentioned some of them along the way anyway so uh but i'm sure if uh i'm sure one of us might have just a couple I had to put in. So uh, again, I normally start down in Austin. So we'll start down in, uh, in Melbourne, Australia. So Austin, far away, 1972 albums. What have you got for us? Well, uh, if uh, if we all skip a couple of those, uh, hilarity might ensue. People will be like up in arms. The, uh, yeah, they probably will be. will be out, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, well, um, I'm going to start with a personal favourite. Uriah Heep's 1972 album, Demons and Wizards. And this really is the, the jewel in their crown. Um, great little um, gatefold on the, uh, on the album cover there. There's a rainbow demon uh, that's kind of like an oil slick or something. Um, now, uh, personal story, uh, my dad went into a, um, uh, like a homeware shop uh, to, to buy, I don't know, uh, an appliance or furniture or something like that. And they had this album on the turntable in the store and he went, what is that? And they told him and, uh, and he ended up buying the album instead of whatever he, it was he came to get. Um, so uh, I've grown up with uh, Demons and Wizards from a very young age. Um, some really great tracks on it. Uh, the Wizard, uh, where uh, they've got this... Um, like kind of synth note, really, really high kind of like a synthesizer note, which is actually kettles. Uh, there was a kettle that uh, that was boiling in the studio and it was kind of in tune with the uh, the, the recording and, uh, and they said, let's use it. And it wasn't actually in perfect pitch, so they had to kind of very speed the tape a little bit to, to get the, uh, the, the kettle to sit. And I think they, uh, they like multi-tracked it like half a dozen times to get the multi-track kettle. Multi-track kettle, yeah. It just it just sounds like a really high kind of like I don't know what sort of instrument it's imitating, um, like a like a piccolo note or something. Um, easy living, great shuffle, um, uh, mig box, like raunchy guitar solos. Uh, some places, uh, his playing rivals Dave Gilmore's, uh, I, I would say, um, and others. Um, he kind of uh, he. Sounds a little bit Richie Blackmore. Um, he's a really very tasty guitar player. The um, the album was kind of a creative outpouring. Uh, by their account, uh, they um, 
they didn't have a uh, an album planned as such, but um, they brought a new bass player, Gary Thane, uh, New Zealand lad, uh, whose playing is absolutely phenomenal. Great, great bass player. Uh, used to play with uh, the Australian producer Peter Dawkins, um, uh, responsible for Dragon and Aussie Crawl and a couple of others. Um, but they had a band in New Zealand back in the day. In kind of history woven uh, in with, uh, with with those band members and that band, and it's it's just a a great great set of tunes. Excellent, Demons and Wizards. Ryan. I had um, I had Demons and Wizards on my reserve list. That was one of the ones I hmm. binned off. And of course, Colin um, Mick Box, the aforementioned guitarist, is a massive Spurs fan and frequently wears his Spurs shirt on stage. So, extra reasons why Uriah Heap should be. Kudos, kudos to Uriah kudos, Heap. Kudos to Mr. Box, indeed. <laughs> How many more albums did they make? And this was about their, what, third or fourth album? Oh, loads. <laughs> I mean, they're still knocking them out now. There was their fifth, fifth album. Fifth album, okay. But didn't they have didn't they have two that year? Yeah, it was August this year as well? No, that was uh, no, that was Wishbone Ash. Um, no, um, they did. Um, we'll edit that bit out. Of uh, which I've forgotten the name off at the moment. I think that's seventy two. Well, that might be the end of seventy one. Anyway, they, they were really prolific at that point of the that stage of the game. Yeah, I'm looking ninety two. The Magician's Birthday, ninety two. Yeah, Magician's Birthday. That was it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah, yeah. Okay. Right, uh, Pete, swiftly on to you. What right, you well, I, I am going with not only one of 1972's great albums, but in fact, one of my top five albums of all time. Um, so, is it Little uh, Jimmy Osmond? No, it's not Little Jimmy Osmond, <laughs> and neither is it the uh, Cliff Richard album featuring Mistletoe and Wine. Um, no. it, it's, <laughs> it is um, it's Caravan Sarai by Santana. And um, I absolutely love Santana. I've seen them live multiple times. Um, they had this real purple patch uh, from really when they started pre-Woodstock um, through till Welcome and Borbaletta and uh, all of those albums. But I think if you speak to most Santana fans, it will be a straight fight between Abraxas and Caravanserai as their favourite I think interest. It was their fourth album, um, and actually, the record company were horrified and and basically said to them, "Are you trying to destroy your career?" Because it was so very, very different from what had gone before. Um, but there's a great quote. In what way? In what, in what way? Because lot more long songs, much more jazz funk, much more jazz-orientated than Latin. I mean, it is Latin rock, but but much more jazz-orientated as well. Mm. So um, just, and I think it was pointing towards the direction Santana would go with the Marvishna Orchestra and John McLaughlin and, you know, all of that kind of mystical stuff. And in fact, on the inner cover of, it's a beautiful album cover. I absolutely love it. Um, and on the inner cover, it's got that quote from the Paramahansa Yogananda about the, you know, melting into the bosom of infinite joy. Um it was number 609 in the all-time top 1,000 albums um, or top 1,000 rock albums. Um, it's the classic Santana lineup with him on guitar and then uh, Doug Rauch and um, Greg Rolly and Mike Shreve and Neil Sean. And then obviously they went off to form Journey um, once, Welcome was, uh, once Welcome was over. But I, mean, I, I, I play the album 
so regularly, I mean, and have done ever since I bought it, which I think was in 1973 or 1974. Um, Song of the Winds, Waves Within, um, All the Love of the Universe are my favourite tracks. But the best one of the lot is Every Step of the Way, which is this kind of nine-minute wonderful thing at the end. It closes the album, um, and it really is a pointer to the direction that Santana are going to go in uh, going forward. But uh, I absolutely love it, as I say, in my top five ever. So that was a very easy first pick. Okay. So is that actually your number one or is that? Yeah, just... so I've done them in order, one through ten. All right. So that's your top album. That's my top album. Top well, album it's my, top, it's my top albums ever. So it had to be the top it album. It had to be the top album of 72, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Right then. Uh, let's move on to me. Uh, as I said at the top of the show, I I, I don't know. I've tried to avoid the, the obvious ones. Um, so maybe you won't have a number of these in your lists. It might not even be one of those that you say, Pete can say, oh, that's on my reserve list. I don't know. Right. This was Paul Simon. That was on my reserve list. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Paul Simon, his, uh, second solo album is, is often considered his first because he did one in the late, in the mid sixties. I think it was called the Paul Simon Songbook in 65 time. But a lot of those were, well, during the Simon and Garfunkel years, uh, a lot of those S&G had recorded themselves or or were about to record themselves. Um, so it's often considered his debut album, uh, self-titled, uh, just sneaked into 72 in January. Um, it was recorded or released rather two years after Simon and Garfunkel split. Big number one album in the UK, number four in America, and a five in Australia. Um, it's a very personal album. Uh, I love Simon and Garfunkel, actually, and I love this, some of the, uh, particularly the early Paul Simon solo stuff as well. It's a very personal album. Uh, it shows his um, interest in world music. I mean, Mother and Child Reunion on there, yeah. of course, uh, classic single. Um, was recorded in Kingston, Jamaica. The styles on the album are Latin, jazz, blues, reggae. Uh, some guest musicians, including uh, Stefan Grappelli, for example, on the album. Uh, several of the songs, as I said, it's very personal, refer to his rocky marriage with Peggy, um, nay, Harper, uh, whom he divorced in 1975. In fact, one of the tracks refers to both Paul and Peggy by name. Let's run that body down. Um, Rolling Stone has it at, well, it did have it at 268 in the 500 greatest albums of all time. Uh, in the most, most recent listing in 2020, it went down to 425. I don't know what it had done in the uh, eight years that separated those two lists. Um, but at 425, it's not too bad. Uh, Rolling Stone did say, it's Paul Simon's least at the time. They said it was his least detached, most personal and painful piece of work thus far. Yeah. This from a lyricist who's never shied away from pain as subject or a theme. And it was critically acclaimed as well. Paul Simon is my first choice. Self-titled. Excellent. Okay. Austin. That uh, yeah, we, we should ignore that uh, that Rolling Stones twenty twenty list altogether. Um, Rolling yeah. Stones never had a a, a great history. Um, let let's face it, their their opinions were uh, were, were bad 
back in the seventies, they cleaned up their act, and and, uh, and in the last 10, 15 years, they've fallen off the perch again. Very, very sad to see the demise, the decline of Rolling Stone. On the perch, as far as I was concerned, so uh, I'm I'm quite happy ignoring Rolling Stone. From you you say that, you say that, Pete. But I think if you if you were to pick uh, a a number of the albums, you think, yeah, that should be in the greatest albums of all time. They're they're in there, aren't they? They're they are often in there. Well, they were. (laughs) I think maybe not. When now that now they're not. More so, contemporary stuff has taken over. They've got to yeah, spread it out a little bit, I guess. Drizzle yeah. Bizzle is obviously far better than the Rolling Stones. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. What we got, Austin? Austin what and, got yeah, there's like how many places did that Paul Simon album uh, like fall? Uh, well, like, it was in twenty. Uh, it was, it was like, something. Yeah, it was. It was like a hundred. Okay, so there are not a hundred albums better than Paul Simon that have been released in the last decade. The last two decades of music. Are garbage, comparatively speaking, to the seventies. So it's yeah, it's just controversial and but true. It's not. It's not. It's not even. I would disagree. (laughs) It's 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 not controversial. It's popular opinion. Yeah. Like you 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 do a straw poll of the public, and you'll find out something very different from what you know our. Uh, media lords are trying to tell us. Anyway, yeah. moving on. on the other, I would say, right. talk about that. There haven't been a hundred albums released in the last decade that are better than Paul Simon's. That, then I, I suspect there are a number of albums that were not necessarily revered at the time, but over a longer period of time, looking back over even 40, 50 years, oh, yeah, that's a classic. That was a classic album. And they end up getting in uh, in higher up on on the list or new entry into the list as well. I'm trying to defend Rolling Stone here. Yeah, no, don't yeah, bother. failing. I mean, like Colin, just just think about what you said. You really think that there like there are a hundred albums from the seventies that are better than the one you just picked that 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 have just uh, like just come into the public consciousness. I don't think so. Maybe yeah, maybe right. you could make an argument for ten. But not a hundred. No, a hundred's a lot of albums. Anyway. Anyway, okay. I'll bet anyway, I'll bet this cool. I'll bet this one has fall I'll bet this one has fallen out of the Rolling Stone five hundred, or maybe it was never in, and that's to their great discredit. It is Deep Purple's Machine Head. Uh, and again, this is you could argue the uh, the career peak for, for Deep Purple, much as uh, Demons and Wizards was for Uriah Heap. They uh they used to rehearse uh in the same um, uh, community complex. Uh, I can't remember what it's called now, but um, but but it was uh, uh, it was out for hire for, uh, for for bands to use to um uh, to to uh, uh, rehearse in. And uh, of course, they didn't record the album there. They recorded the album over in Switzerland. Obviously, very famous story with smoke on the water and the uh, uh, the, the Frank Zappa. Uh, concert where uh, a lunatic uh, set fire to the roof with a flare gun, and um, that was the venue that they were going to record in. So they had to scramble. They had the um, the Rolling Stones mobile. Uh, I think it's called Stargroves, mm-hmm. and uh, and so they found a, a hotel that was closed for the winter, um, and and hold up uh, and produced uh, an extraordinary record. Really, um, yep. 
like when you when you think about what they were able to achieve sonically, um, it like it doesn't sound bad. Like it hasn't suffered from them recording in a like a a hotel in in hotel corridors instead of a recording studio, which is just mind blowing, really, and and just goes to show that the the, the right people with the right gear can can pull it off just about. Yeah, don't get anything out of anything, can't they? So, did you um, did you also consider Made in Japan? Because I'd got both of those on my um, I'd got both of those on my reserve list. Because I think again, it was a great year for Deep Purple, wasn't it? Because Made in Japan's a brilliant live album. That's definitely on my reserve list. Yeah, yeah. So, I th- I thought that there'd be a Deep Purple on yours, which is why I didn't include it on my main list, but. Um, a lot of the yeah. tracks are the same, I assume, anyway, aren't they? Because it, like Smoke on the Water. I... Yeah. yeah, no, they're, yeah. they're both great albums. Okay. Deep Purple, Machine Head for Austin. Pete, what have you got next? Well, I'm now going into a whole um, a whole tranche of prog. So, um, And I'm going to start with uh, Close to the Edge, which is... Of course. <laughs> yes, is um, fifth album. And for many Yes fans, it is their finest hour. I don't agree. Um, I would put three albums above it. Um, but nonetheless, uh, it, in, the, in the hearts of Yes fans, it holds a special place, not least of which was because it was the last album to feature Bill Brufford. Um, but I think it also it pointed towards the kind of really experimental stuff that they were going to do on topographic oceans and relayer um, um over the next over the next few years only three tracks um obviously ticks all of my boxes um close to the edge itself is 18 minutes and 45 seconds and you and i is 10 12 and the short one um is uh, only eight minutes 57 uh, which is siberian catro and again for big yes fans that has a special place because Certainly, and I, I can't. The last time I saw them live must have been four or five years ago now. And I don't think they used it then, but right through the seventies, when they were playing live, they while the band were coming on stage, they always used to have the Firebirds Suite by Stravinsky, um, and then as that finished, they burst into Siberian Catcher. So it was always a set opener. So again, it was kind of uh, if you've if you've seen Yes as many times as I have. Then it kind of uh, it kind of sits there as being an important part of uh, their whole repertoire. So really good album. Um, I couldn't not have a Yes album in 1972, um, and it's as it's as good a one as any. I think the two in '71 were better. Personal opinion. Did you have Yes in then, Austin? Uh, in my ten, uh, actually, um, great ear candy album. It's uh, it's just possible to listen to one. Of the um, the 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 ensemble, for instance, listen to Chris Squire's bass, uh, and yeah. and just hear the interplay between the the various instruments. And uh, this album has a reputation uh, among the uh, the the surfies, uh, Australian surfies. Uh, I think it featured in um, oh. Um, there, there's a there, there's a, a, a film or a, or a book that was written about uh, about that culture, uh, where the kids, uh, early teens, would uh, would basically get stoned and listen to Close to the Edge, and uh, so 
I, I can yeah. see why you, you 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 know get stoned, increase your kind of like your your, your sensory perception a little bit, and uh, and, and just uh, get lost in the uh, swirling psychedelia. Yeah, but I think you're right. It, it, it's it's one of those albums where, as you said, you can pick out an instrument and just follow it right the way through the whole track. So particularly Chris Squire's bass, because obviously he was a genius, but also Bill Brofford's drumming and Waitman's uh, keyboard. I think you can do it with uh, you can do it with all of it really. Number five um, on Rolling Stones list of the top fifty greatest progressive rock albums of all number time. Five. Okay. Number five. So there are four better than it, Pete. Well, I, I, as I say, Stones, there's, there's, for me, there's two Yes albums better than it. So uh, anyway. Oh, there you go. All right, fair enough. And <laughs> Henry Medosa opened his review for the San Bernardino Sun with not since Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band has there been one side of an album that expressed such a complete and exciting and musical thought as side one. Yeah, I would agree with that. That's, um, yeah, that's about right. Anyway, so Austin and I have both got that, so that makes that easy. That makes so that next. Nice. nice and easy. Okay, well, you had to have 1972 album. You had to have a Yes album. Yes, so you have I can't, to have a Beatles I, one. I can't have a Beatles one, unfortunately, <laughs> given that they split up two years before. Yeah, but, but what I can do, part. <laughs> what I can do is have the mighty, quote, <laughs> South London's finest <laughs> and Pile Driver. Ah, good album. Their good fifth album. Studio album released at the very end of 72 in December. The first on Vertigo, uh, the first self-produced album. It's a first real, I would say, heavy album that they did. Uh, at Pi, uh, the label, at the when they were with Pi, they complained that the label did Pi. Uh, they complained about the volume uh, as it would overload the input levels on the recording desk. On Pile Driver, however, they could they could bring their touring gear into into the studios, IBC Studios, in fact, and record live at stage levels, giving them a much stronger sound. It's full of absolute classics for live favourites. I would say, like "Don't Waste My Time," which of course was sung at Live Aid. Uh, Big Fat Mama is another live favourite. Roadhouse Blues, the Doors cover which is yeah. the, my first hearing of the song, actually, Roadhouse Blues. Probably why I prefer that song by The Doors than any other song that The Doors did. Um, but, yeah, that's on there. But it's the quieter stuff as well. Uh, it, it's it's mainly heads down, no nonsense, minus boogie, but uh, things like A Year and, um, oh, what's the name of the song? Unspoken Words, All the Reasons, quite bluesy. Uh, yeah. And I, I love it for that. It's got a little bit more variety on it. Um, and that came out just in the run-up to Christmas, didn't it? Yes. Yeah, because I remember, I remember my buddy that I was in the Scouts with. who was a massive Bowie and, um, and um, Quo fan. And I remember him ringing me up and saying, I've got the new Quo album, you've got to come round. So I remember wandering around there that night and listening to it for the first time and thinking, yeah, this is really... It's different from the others, and I really, really loved it. I thought it's one of my favourite Quo albums, and it's really good. Yeah, it's um, 
critically it was well, they've never been massively critically acclaimed to be fair have they um all music uh said it was both crowd-pleasing and moderately ambitious it sounds a bit condescending to be perfectly honest but there you go they praised a year I, I, and oh, big fat mama sorry austin i bet that was stephen thomas Erlewine who wrote that he could have been i don't know <laughs> A favourite of yours. However, uh, the Village Voice, whoever they said, whoever they were, they they weren't so keen. They said it had no de- that the band had no decent singer or guitarist, and their attempts at uh, blues and ballads were boring. So you know you can't please them all, but I love it. Pile Driver, as you know, I love Quo, and uh, yeah, I had to have them in there. Okay, uh, back to Austin. Okay, uh, back to the rock then, um, and over uh, over across the Atlantic uh, because I, it's been a bit uh, British centric. Um, uh, we need to talk about Alice Cooper schools out, which okay. uh, I got I got that down as being on your list. That's on my Austin list. <laughs> It's not in your ten, though. No, no, no. Okay. I just knew Austin would choose it. All right. Yep. Uh, and I think this is uh, about album five into their career. Um, obviously, schools out. The title track uh, is a, uh, a hit for them. Um, probably the uh, the most recognised uh, Alice Cooper song, uh, and Good. this album pretty much thrust them uh right into the the public consciousness uh, probably not just in america but uh but at least in australia as well and i'm not sure about the uk but uh they became uh they, they became a massive uh concert touring attraction uh by that point um when they were uh when they were promoting the next album in in 73 i think they were touring with led zeppelin and the who um, or at least they were uh, they were playing the same places, um, and uh, it's a uh, it's not a long album. Uh, it kind of properly speaking, it's only got uh, eight eight tracks, and and some of that stuff almost sounds like uh, it belongs in a musical, like the, uh, the 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 way they kind of try to bookend the uh, the the album with the uh, the finale, um, but the range that they cover. Uh, like just in, in terms, not I, I won't say styles because uh, it's kind of borrowing a bit from everywhere, everywhere all the time. Uh, but moods, uh, it's uh, and the the bass playing really uh, really highlights that. Um, it, it goes from like sultry and uh, and kind of nocturnal to um, almost uh, like that. There's uh, like psychotic schizophrenic kind of breaks in there. It's like very melodic, very melodic album. Um, and, and just kind of right, right out there uh, on its own branch, really uh, doesn't, doesn't quite sound like anything else. And um, very, just full of catchy tunes. Yeah. Yes. And many will be surprised that I've been around for so long before that, because it was such a massive success the single schools out uh big number one here uh in 72 um but as you say it was i'm not sure how many you think written there about fourth or fifth album yeah it was fifth album wasn't it i'm sure it was fifth was it the yeah. fifth 
Yeah. Okay. And it had a school desk, didn't it, on the cover? Yeah. 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 Great, great piece of album artwork. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, school's out then, Alice Cooper. And Pete, what have you got? Well, I'm continuing my journey through 1972's prog releases. Um, and on this occasion, I'm going for my favourite non-English prog band, uh, of which there were a few. And Are they Dutch? Huh? Are they Dutch? Yes, they are. So, uh, <laughs> it is Focus, Focus 3. Focus 3. Um, it's on balance it's probably my favourite Focus album but sometimes I err towards Hamburg Concerto which was the next one Um, but it obviously has when I say obviously if you're a Focus fan it has Sylvia which is their defining moment as a single and I know that's one that you like as well um, mm. I always I always call it my happy song because whenever yeah. it comes on, it just cheers me up. Um, it's got the very typical, uh, you know, there's focus one, focus two, focus three, focus four, <laughs> focus five. They kind of go on forever. Um, and focus three is um, is on that. I guess this, there's for me the there's the sort of anonymous two parts one and two, uh, and that is. Um, I like that because what it does is show off the virtuosity of the band. I mean, you, when we did the guitarist thing, I had Jan Ackerman as one of my favourites. When we do the drum thing, Pierre van der Linden will be there. Um, I just think they're real virtuoso um, players. But um, on um, Anonymous Parts 1 and 2, there's a, a brilliant Bert Reuter bass solo. There's a tremendous drum solo all on the second side. And you kind of go... Well, is that a bit overblown? Is it? But I mean, prog was, and I don't think we need to make apologies for that. They were all stellar musicians, and they were just showing off their musicianship. There's a beautiful, heartbreakingly pretty um, guitar. Oh, now you've frozen. Uh, well, I haven't frozen here. I'm absolutely no, fine. No, no, I've got... I can hear you now. I can hear you now. Yeah, yeah. You just sort of froze there a moment. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I've, I've, I've got full internet and um, okay. all the rest of it. So anyway, um, and then in typical Focus fashion, there's only one um, track which has got um, lyrics, uh, and that's Round Goes the Gossip. And the lyrics are in Latin, obviously, because why wouldn't you? So um, that's, uh, that's kind of pretty well covers that. But anyway, yeah, it's always been one of my favourite albums. Um, it's the only one of theirs which i don't have on vinyl i have it on cd uh but it's um that's because i had it originally on tape but it's uh it's a brilliant album so that's my number three i'm with you with sylvia though love yeah. that yeah, love that. i might play it tomorrow so, <laughs> so pete when you say tape do you mean cassette or eight track uh cassette Yes, I don't mean 8-track. I did have stuff on 8-track, but not any longer. I still, I've still, i still got all my cassettes, just got nothing to play them on. But, um, still got some 78s probably, haven't you, Pete? Uh, my dad has, and I've just inherited those, obviously. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know what happened to my dad's. I've had loads of stuff like, I don't know, there's no business like show business, that sort of stuff. Um, well, they don't half break easily, though, don't they? They 
snap. Yeah, shellac, aren't they? But my dad's yeah, yeah. got a load of old jazz stuff, which I've got to sort out. So, uh, All right, anyway, Let, let's digress. progress. Progress. Uh, what shall I do next then? Um, oh, another one that no one will have. Um, it is one of, one of my, uh, one of many favourite guitarists and musicians is Dave Edmonds. Oh. Now his debut solo album, he's done stuff with, um, with with Love Sculpture, with the Saber Dance, and what have you. His debut solo album was released in January 1972, and it was just called Rock Pile, which of course uh, he he named his band subsequently in the in the mid 70s with, with Nick Lowe, Billy Bremner, Terry Williams, uh, and in fact all of the all of the uh, all of the Dave Edmonds. All of the Nick Lowe albums, they were all really rock pile. Uh, there was obviously some contractual thing that had to be released as Dave Edmonds and probably a label thing and Nick Lowe as well, but they're all the same musicians. Uh, however, they're not all on this one, funnily enough. Uh, it is Dave Edmonds and John Williams is on there, not the John Williams who wrote the Star Wars themes and stuff, the Star Wars and uh, E.T., was it E.T.? Or yeah. the Deer Hunter, all that, I don't know. That's yeah, a lot of those ones. Um, yeah, it's actually John David. Uh, he called himself, his real name was John Williams. He was also in Enough Sculpture with him. Andy Fair with the Lowe's on there. Terry Williams is on drums. He was in Rock Pile. BJ Cole on pedal steel guitar. Dave Edmonds, though, played most of the instruments on the entire album. So we're talking the vocals, the guitars, the bass, the keyboards, and the drums on the whole. It wasn't a hit here. It wasn't a hit in the States, but Austin, you'll be pleased to know it was a hit in Australia. It made number 22. It is, to be fair, uh, mostly covers of late 50s, early 60s hits. Chuck Berry, Willie Dixon, uh, even Dylan, Neil Young song on there. Um, there's one, uh, John Williams or John David and Dave Evans composition. And of course, it included the number one single the Smiley Lewis song, I Hear You Knocking, which is a great song and a great album. It's a good fun album anyway. So no one's going to have that one, so I'm picking it. Okay. Very nice. We love it. We love it, David Edmonds in Australia. Good. Good. Saw him, actually. Saw him once in London somewhere. Um. Wandering around buying shoes or on stage? No, he wasn't actually on stage. Actually, in a club somewhere in the uh, in the city, can't remember where it was. Right. The Canary Wharf area, I seem to remember. Rainpush. Anyway, uh, Austin, what have you got next? Elton John. Uh, I Ooh, think this might be the first Chateau. time an Elton John record is featured in one of my lists, one of my top tens. Honky Chateau. Yeah, hmm. uh, named. Named after the uh, Chateau de Hureville, uh, where the album was recorded, uh, and uh, yeah, France. not only yeah, not only Elton John, but uh, but many artists recorded there. It had uh, quite a storied history. Uh, must have been a pretty decent facility, um, and uh, this album uh, obviously has opens with Honky Cat, which is just a uh, like a, a great upbeat jaunty tune and uh the uh the the first side climax is pretty much with uh with rocket man uh one of his greatest greatest singles and probably scaling new heights for him at that point this 
would have been album or oh, what might have been album five, I think, uh, for, for Elton. Let's see, seven eleven seventy empty sky, tumbleweed connection, madman across that's the, the water. Fifth, fifth album. That's fifth album, yeah. yeah. That's that's off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty impressed. I was able to reel that off. You've wow. got them all go. bang bang on there, obviously. Well done. And then um, wasn't um, goodbye yellow brick road the following year. It was. Yes, that's right. That, that don't yeah. shoot me. Don't shoot me. Came before goodbye yellow road, but they were yeah. both in. Oh three. yes. Yeah, yeah, I have a I have a mental blank on "Don't Shoot Me" because I despise it. But "Honky" oh really? Chateau, oh okay. Yeah, I, I I can't can't stand Daniel and Crocodile Rock. Sorry, it just it's just too much cheese. <laughs> I don't um, think Elton likes Daniel Crocodile Rock. Daniel is serious cheese. Yeah, Crocodile Rock's alright, but Daniel is serious cheese. Yeah, I like um, it. What can I say? You like a bit of cheese? Well, Colin, I, I think I'm going to kill myself. Is a far better song than either of those two. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I thought we were taking uh, a really deep, deep tone there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it like there's just uh, so so many great lyric sets uh, that Bernie Taupin churned out, and uh, and that's that's definitely one of them. And uh, Elton, to his credit, uh, knows how to how to fit the music to it. It really is a, a marvel to to observe the the fruit of their work, um, and it's. Probably the Elton album that uh, I'm able to listen to front to back um, uh, and enjoy the most. I just think it's a really strong, really consistent album. Goodbye Yellow Brick Road's a bit of a trial. It like it's like I mean, well, double albums are in general, but uh, yeah, uh, Honky Chateau is just uh, perfect pacing. Anyway, that's uh, that's uh, my selection. Good one, a good one. Yeah, that was on. That was one of my ten at the end there that I thought, yeah, they should be in there really, but I haven't picked it. But yeah, you know it's what on I mean? my uh, it's on my list of uh, additional ones that I thought someone would choose. I thought it would be yeah, me, yeah. But, uh, anyway. Thought it would be me. Yeah, not cheesy enough. Obviously, that album for oh, me. Well, you with your obsession, you know. Anyway, <laughs> Rocket Man. Oh, Rocket Man is such such a good song. It is brilliant. To give it its full title, of course, Rocket Man. I think it's going to be a long, long time, whichever one misses out. But but so is Honky Cat. That's a great song. That is a great song. Mona Lisa's on there as well, isn't it? Mona Lisa's uh, Manhattan's. Manhattan's, yeah. Yeah. It is a good album. Right, Pete, what have you got if you haven't got Elton? Um, I have got uh, an album which got to number 39 in the US charts. And the most famous track of it, or the one that most people would know, um, is an arrangement of a song from Aaron Copeland's Rodeo Ballet, or Rodeo Ballet, if you prefer. And it is Trilogy by Emerson, Lake and Palmer. And um, the song is Hoedown, which is the one that... uh, is well, he's on a lot of the live stuff. Um, they um, and, and was always part of the live set. Um, trilogy, the actual title track, um, from the beginning, a beautiful, beautiful, soft acoustic, um, Greg Lake number, um, Endless Enigma, another great song. Um, but I think what I like about I think when I love it, I love LP and Gun to the Head, I'd probably choose Pictures at an Exhibition as my favorite. But of the kind of the normal albums, I, I think Trilogy is, is my favourite. 
Um, just reading about it, it, what's interesting about it is that Greg Lake talks about how difficult it was to produce, um, that the enormous detail that went into it, um, and there were stacks and stacks and stacks of overdubs until they got it exactly how they wanted it to sound. So the, the actual production of the thing um, was, you know, a labour of love. But I think worth it. I think, you know, if you if you ignore pictures, then um, I think it's their best album. Um, I, again, ELP fans might argue and say brain salad surgery, but on balance, I go with Trilogy. So that's my number four. Okay. It's, uh, it, it's obviously a single album, is it? Yes. Yeah. It it sounds like it's going to be a long drawn out thing, but obviously no, it isn't. No, it's not. It's um, no. There's nothing that's over. I mean, I haven't got the track list in front of me, but there's anything that's over five or six minutes. Okie dokie. I, I was expecting uh, P from you, Pete. Oh, well, I, I I don't like to let you down, Austin. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you for that. I must let you down so badly with these ones because I'm sure no one's no one has them. Um, I've gone all a bit poppy and a bit foot stompy for my my next one, and uh, I've gone for the third studio album. It was released in November '72 by a band from Wolverhampton. I know what this is. You know what this is. <laughs> is would that be the bad spelling uh, band? It could be the bad spelling band, yes, indeed. <laughs> it was uh, yeah, the, the English teacher's nightmare, nightmare. back in the seventies. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I always used to joke the uh, yeah the, uh, the maths teachers, or must have always joked with the English teachers. Yeah, <laughs> Slade, that must be a nightmare with them. And then Medicine Head had a record called One and One Is One. So that confused them as well. Um, right. Um, it was number one in um, America, let the side down here, number 69. That never really hit, hit the massive heights in the States. It's a very English sound, I guess. Uh, number one in Australia and in the UK. And it was their most successful album, even in the States. It was their most successful album in the 70s, but it only made number 69, produced by Chaz Chandler of the Animals fame, of course. Um, they'd had uh, a number of hit singles before this. In fact, they had two number ones, Take Me Back Home being the, the most recent standalone single it was, Because I Love You was also a number one in 71. Uh, they also had a, a, a dip in the album charts with Slade Alive, which was a, a that got to number two in the album chart. Uh, the lead single from Slade, S-L-A-Y-E-D, with a question mark, of course, which is the album I've gone for. Lead singer was the lead single. Sorry, was Mama. We're all crazy now, which and of course reached number one. And yeah, what a great single! Goodbye to Jane. Also released in November, and that made also number two. Um, the the lyrics to Mama, we're all crazy now. Apparently, come came from a show that the Boston Glider Dome in Lincolnshire, where a bouncer had told them about another act who'd appeared there drunk, crazy with whiskey. That's where they got the title from. And, um, yeah, and goodbye to Jane, uh, Noddy Holder's lyrics. See, it was generally Jim Lee, I believe, wrote the music, Noddy Holder with the lyrics. Lyrics were inspired by a, a woman called Jane, 
who who demonstrated a sex machine on a TV show on which they appeared. Now the mind's boggling there. I don't really know. Um, Record Mirror called it um, all pretty stomping, insistent, and bald out stuff, but they deliver the goods here all right, all right, not off. Uh, music like the Stones used to play. Wow, used to. There's a deal. Yeah, I know. In 72 as well, yeah. It's not like the Stones didn't have a fairly famous album in 1972. Not at all. Like, no. Sounds like a bit of a dig to me. That, yeah. Right. I'm going with Slade by Slade in uh, 72. So that's my next one. Austin, next for you, sir. Okay, so uh, Elton John, huh? Um, time for uh, time for an American uh, representation here. Um, I'm going to pick the Doobie Brothers, uh, Toulouse Street. Right. Okay, I've chosen that. That's in my ten, so that takes that one easy. Good. Okay. Yeah. I'll put it down for both yep. of you. Second album. Their uh, their first album, uh, which I believe was self titled. They didn't. Yeah, uh, have a hit on. Uh, I think it sold poorly, and the the record label said, "Look, guys, we love you, but you got to do better." And uh, and they listen did. to the music. Listen to the music. Oh. Uh, pretty much, um, yeah, says it all. Really, uh, it's um, it, it's Tommy Johnston uh, rising to the the, the challenge. Uh, sounds like I have the tiger, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> but uh, he he wrote he wrote a he he wrote a great song. He showed uh, showed what he was capable of, and he's got a great band behind him. I think their first album they only had the one drummer. They were a four piece, and they added a, a second drummer yeah, that's right. um, uh, because uh, they wanted to be a little bit more like the Allman Brothers. Who who were the big band that had two drummers, which I think is a uh, a really really great distinctive thing about the the seventies having bands with two drummers. Like you Absolutely. don't really get that anymore. There were not that many examples. Um, I think Adam and the <laughs> Yep, yep. Although, yeah, that's slightly different. But uh, like yeah. that, they weren't. Well, some of the some of the um, exact, jazz kind of the same beats. Some, some of the jazz rock stuff. They had two drummers, didn't they? And of course, Santana did yeah. as well. The two yeah. you know, normal yeah. drums, and then all of the congas and everything. Yeah, you'd probably have to say that the the Doobies were the the band that was playing uh, the most kind of pop slash mainstream uh, music uh, being pulled off by two drummers. Um, it's or, or straight ahead rock, if you like. Um, did you um- although? No, obviously. Did you get the uh, the quote, the billboard quote for uh, um, "Listen to the Music," Austin? I did not. Why don't you uh, share it with us? Having what you've just said, then this appeals nicely. Um, billboard said um, that "Listen to the Music," which was number twenty nine in the UK, number eleven in the US, um, ranks high in the pantheon of rock and roll feel good hits, and you can't argue with that, can you? No, no, you can't. Yeah. So other big hits off uh, off the record: "Jesus is Just Alright," "Rocking Down the Highway." The highway yeah. Um, yeah. Some um, some great deep cuts. Lots of very gentle uh, 
uh, finger picking acoustic stuff that's uh, that's quite moody. Uh, Toulouse Street itself is a uh, is a very moody piece. Um, yeah, Snake Man, White it's, Sun. What I, what I like gr- about Toulouse Street itself, the actual song, is that it, it when you listen to it, it sounds um, it sounds very much like New Orleans. It's got that kind of it, it, it kind of feels sleazy and kind of has that sound about it. It, it, it. It's very redolent of the place it's talking about. I think I think they do a they do yep. a good job of it. Yeah, it's yep. a great album. Great, great album for a Saturday afternoon in the middle of summer with a gin and tonic or a whiskey. <laughs> yeah, which strangely, having just got a copy of Toulouse Street from my dealer not three months ago, I have in fact spent Saturday afternoons listening to it whilst drinking gin and tonic. So that is about as close to accurate as you can get. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, I don't drink gin and tonic, but I did love listening to the music. That certainly um, dr- grabbed my attention, shall we say. I probably, I'm not sure whether it was released as a single here. Was it released here in 73 or maybe it was in 74? So no, it was it was a single in 73. Maybe? The album was 73, 73. The single, yeah. I probably heard it in 73, maybe seven, yeah. maybe 73, 74. I don't know, actually. I could look that up. But yeah, listen to the music. I, when that came out, I was playing it like like the clappers, if that's still an expression. Um, yeah, it was. it's a great song. And Tulu Street, that was on my list of 10 at the end as well, but not in my 10. Mm-hmm. If you see what I mean, if that makes sense. Yeah. Doobie Brothers, listen to the music. Uh, yeah, entered the chart actually in March 74, the single. Yeah, oh, I think it? it was 74. Mm. And as you correctly said, beat, it got to number 29. I do occasionally do some research for this show, Colin. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you. <laughs> right, um, so if we're sticking to the 10 each, um, that means, Austin, you've already had six of your 10. Pete, you've had five. Yeah, I'm just four. about to hit number six now. You're going to go with your number six. Go on, then. Well, given that Toulouse Street is now taken. Yeah, yeah. I've put so, that now, um, yeah. So I'm going to finish my – I'm going to pretty well finish my prog section. Um, so this is an album which got to number 12 in the UK album chart, and it was really the breakthrough album for the UK's other big band – of a prog nature. So we're talking Genesis and it is Foxtrot, which was album number four. Um, My favorite, my favorite track on the album is Watcher of the Skies, which is the opener. Um, I think it's a wonderful piece of music, but what it's famous for, uh, and, and I think what made it the breakthrough album was Supper's Ready, which at, 22 minutes and 52 seconds is by a very significant margin their longest recorded song um and um i think the art one of the things about genesis like you look at pink floyd and you look at the fantastic album artwork they've always had and you look at yes and the fantastic album artwork they've had because it's roger dean um and then you look at floyd with storm thorgerson and then you look at Genesis's stuff and you go, you know what, most of this is pretty crap. Um, and it, it it kind of, it's quirkily recognisable, but probably not in a good way. And I think that Foxtrot is the same. When you look at it, it's pretty crass, but um, 
the kind of the fox in the red dress, the fox's head in the red dress was then what Peter Gabriel wore as his stage costume when they toured this. And that was one of the things that everybody picked up on. And that was when really Gabriel started to become the, the centrepiece of the band, you know, and the focus for the, the, the drama and the theatre um, of their stage productions. But it's a really good album. Um, and um, uh, yeah, it couldn't, it couldn't not be in there with my prog shops. So uh, that's, uh, that's my next one. The reissue includes sleeve notes written by Queen drummer Roger Taylor. You'd be pleased to know there, Pete. I don't have. You're a big Queen fan. I don't have the. Um, <laughs> I don't have the reissue. I have the original. original. The original. Okay. Nothing but the best. The originals, aren't they? Um, okay. I, having said, I've omitted what I consider to be the in inverted commas the obvious choices, if you like, the ones that we thought, yeah. They've got to be in a list. There's one or two. This one in particular, I just, you know, I just had to have in, and it's Bowie. <laughs> right, I'll just tick that off my. This is definitely on Colin's list. List. Oh, it's not in yours. <laughs> no, I I left it out because I knew you'd choose it. And what about you, Austin? Have you got Ziggy in there? It's not on mine. No, you're not, but you're not a huge Bowie fan anyway. I don't think. Are you actually thinking about it, Austin? You, you've you've spotted that. Yeah, I got that. I got that vibe. I got that vibe creeping through Zoom. Um, all right, I'll be brief then, just for Austin's sake. Fifth album. Um, songs were written around the same time as Hunky Dory. It was the second in um, which was seventy one, of course, and probably my, I don't know, maybe my favourite album, Hunky Dory. But this was the second in a, a trio of absolute classic albums, in my opinion. And at his peak, all about obviously his alter egos, he stardust, the androgynous bisexual rock star who's sent to earth as a savior before an impending apocalyptic disaster. Uh, glam rock at its peak, I would say, maybe. Uh, influenced, however, by the likes of Iggy Pop, uh, Lou Reed, Velvet Underground, and T Rex, considered. Oh, one of his best works, if not his best work. Uh, Starman, as a single, preceded it, got to number five in the UK, and their appearance on Top of the Pops with him and Mick Ronson in a rather suggestive, dancey way, of singing and playing, um, propelled, I think, propelled him to stardom, the stardom that he, he was probably going to get anyway, but it certainly didn't didn't help. Um, what else we got? Yeah, the, the one of one of his biographers, a guy called Nicholas Pegg, was saying the album was actually going to be called Round and Round as late as December fifteenth, December nineteen seventy one, because they did he did a cover of Chuck Berry's Round and Round, which at the last, well, the eleventh hour, if you like, was dumped. Uh, it said yeah, and Starman was put on in its place, which was rather satisfactory as because Starman's a rather classic song. Um, they did the last three songs, all recorded on the last day on the 4th of February, 1972, and probably, in my view, the best three tracks on it, which is Starman, Suffragette City, and Rock and Roll Suicide. But there are some other classics on there as well. Five Years is an is a absolute stormer, for example. Open uh, Rolling Stone, you'll be pleased to know, in the latest list, 2020, has it at number 40 
in the 500 greatest albums of all time. It made number so five. In the highest, UK. Sorry, is that the highest Bowie? That I don't, I haven't got that information to hand, but I would suspect so. I would yeah, suspect so. I, don't, I, I wouldn't um, be surprised if there's anything. Yeah, I'd be surprised. Number five in the UK when it came out in 72. Uh, Australia, it made number 21, but only after his death. So it obviously didn't do so well uh, initially. And America originally only made number 75. I don't think they were quite ready for his uh, appearance, shall we say, I would guess. Uh, but then again, it made number 21, like in Australia, after Bowie's death in 2016. But the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, that's my next on the list. So I do have what? a lot of respect for Bowie. Yeah. Um, he's a uh, multi-instrumentalist, singer, songwriter, and producer. He produced, uh, self-produced uh, a lot of his work, although the early stuff was done uh, by mostly Tony Visconti. Visconti. So, so uh, Ziggy Stardust, is that, a, is that a Visconti production or had he taken the helm yet? I think... Uh, he, it might have been Diamond Dogs where Bowie started self-producing. No, I think no, I think it's Visconti. I I'm think it's Visconti. Sure yeah. This one, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, you haven't got Bowie in your list, Austin. What have you got? What have we got left for I you? Have... About uh, half hour of it? No, maybe twenty-five minutes left for you before you got to go. So, yep. Let's yep. whiz through. Some I of have your... got uh, Steely Dan. Ah, oh, that's on my list of things that uh, Austin's going to have. <laughs> I left it off mine. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, everyone uh, surely knows uh, Steely Dan by now. It's uh, it's uh, one of those um, one of those things. They were an obscure band at one point, but uh, but definitely no longer. Can't buy a thrill. Their first album. Um, they actually had, I think, a six-piece at that point uh, with a singer that sang on, I don't know, two or three songs, and then they jettisoned him, basically. Donald Fagan never liked the sound of his own voice, but he was the only one who could really uh, pull off the uh, the attitude and delivery of the lyrics they wrote, um, uh, of which uh, yeah, said attitude and delivery is, is quite pungent. Um, some great songs on here, obviously. Do it again, reeling in the uh, the years. Um, uh, absolute classics, and big heard two, all over yeah. the radio. Um, Fire in the hole is a personal favorite of mine. Um, yeah, um, Kings, uh, Dirty Work. That's the uh, that's the other big one, and that's uh, that's one that uh, the, uh, the other singer David Hodder was. It? No, hang on, no, Palmer. The, um, Palmer. Palmer. I'm getting him confused with Jim Hodder, the drummer. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so David Palmer sings uh, on Dirty Work, and that was covered by uh, many, many other artists. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's uh, great, great playing. Like, it's a great, for 1972, it's a really, really slick recording. Um, everything is crisp, sits well in the mix. Uh, the performances are killer. Um, uh, they have um, 
uh, some great, uh, great, great session players. Uh, what's the guy's name? Elliot, who plays the solo on Real in the in the years, which is Elliot uh, Randall. Yeah, Elliot yeah, Randall. That's yeah, that's Randall. the man. Yep. Is, uh, is Skunk Backstrom? Jimmy, Jimmy Page. He is. He yeah. is. Yep. Jimmy Jimmy Page has uh, has cited. Um, Elliot Randall's uh, solo on Real in the Years is, uh, if not his favourite, then one of his all-time favourite guitar solos. Well, it's, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because how many songs start with a guitar solo? You know, it's it, it's pretty well unique. Yeah, yeah. It's well, is it a solo or is it a hook? It's kind of a very fancy oh, hook. Okay, yeah. It's 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 a long hook, but it's just the very unusual yeah. thing for a for a, a, a song to go straight out the gate with a guitar piece like that. That's yeah, very, very true. Um, yeah, uh, and Becker and Fagan had uh, had already uh, had a, a pretty good run in the trenches uh, uh, as staff songwriters, um, and uh, and their stuff was just too weird for uh, for other artists, so they uh, they ended up doing it for themselves. Uh, and to to great great effect, you have to concede. Great band, great album. One of their one of their best. Yeah, although with Steely Dan, it's quite hard to say best when pretty well everything they did was no perfect, isn't it? They're one of one of those bands where it's difficult to pick a bad song that mind a bad album. But, uh... Well, I think probably the thing about Can't Buy a Thrill is its appeal across the board, whereas a lot of their later albums maybe yeah. uh, had more uh yeah, maybe niche appeal. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it was a good album, and I must admit, I do like you. You're right, radio classics, aren't they? Really, yeah, FM radio, reading it, reading the years, do it again. They are the ones probably even ahead of the dirty work, actually. Even though I think Austin saying a lot of other people covered it. Um, yeah, I think they're the two that stand out for me on the album. Uh, I'm a singles man, I guess. Though, um, okay. Oh, Joanne's just messaged saying, oh, Doobie Brothers, yes. There you go. <laughs> Another fan. Um, good to see you. Okay, right. Uh, who are we on? Pete, go on in. Yeah. If you, if okay, you need so to go, man. Austin, let us know. We, we've got about 20, 20 odd minutes left. If you've got another three to do. Yep, that's right. Maybe just quickly, we'll get Pete's next one in. Well, I'll tell you what, if I, do, if I do this one now, then let Austin do his three. And okay. Then- that's the easiest. Um, so this one is a Tom Dowd production. Oh, um, okay. The album was originally going to be called The Kind We Grow in Dixie, but the lead guitarist, one Duane Orman, subsequently very dead shortly thereafter, um, decided that he hated the title and um, he chose Eater Peach. And the reason for that was because he saw the cover, the, the album artwork, and um, he didn't really, he, he didn't, he quite liked the artwork on the front, but he hated the album title. Um, and he'd been interviewed uh, about the Vietnam War and about um, the, um, the impact of the Vietnam War and whether he thought, you know, something about whether it was a good thing or, or a bad thing. And, and, he, and he's quoted as saying, um, when I come home to Georgia, I eat a peach for peace. 
and that interview had been done fairly you know, for recently um and so they dumped the um the kind we grow in dixie and uh, chose eat a peach because it kind of fitted with the album artwork at front the album artwork inside um is this kind of really psychedelic um mushrooms and fairies and um really kind of hippie trippy acidy um kind of uh, thing as far as the tracks are concerned i mean obviously um 29th of october 71 um he died in a motorcycle crash in macon um and eat peach was already partially recorded at that stage um they added three new songs to it including mountain jam which is all of side two and all of side four and in total comes in over 40 minutes um and it's what the almonds do best it's this long rambling jam um showing off all of their different virtuosities um brilliant hammond organ from greg um the album was certified platinum in uh 1995 um the um and and the and, and mountain jam they added because they that was an outtake from the Fillmore album it didn't make it onto the Fillmore album so they used it and put it onto eat a peach and then you've got melissa which is one of duane's favorites done by greg um you've got blue sky which is dicky bet's song uh, which became a staple in the live set um and then my personal favorite and this is just because i'm weird uh, but my favourite is um, Lay Brea in A Minor, which is a kind of, uh, yeah, again, a kind of rambling, bluesy um, jam thing. Um, but I, I, when I first heard the album, I thought, well, you know, I mean, they come from the southern states, so why not have a song which is um, in French, you know, uh, the title's in French. Um, so, um, and, and I think if you ignore... The Fillmore, which is obviously a standout live album, I think Eater Peach is my favourite, uh, my favourite Almonds album um, overall, um, and I think it very much stands the test of time and is a testament to what a brilliant guitarist Dwayne Almond was, and what a brilliant writer with a brilliant guitarist. So um, again, if there's an Almonds album released, it's going to be on my list. So that's my that's my number six. And was it the Dwayne Orman and who else? Because they two died at the same crossroads or something. Yeah, Barry Oakley died pretty well the same place the the following year. So yeah, they lost they lost Dwayne and then Barry within the space of twelve. In Macon, Georgia. Yeah. Which is where Little Richard came from. Was that Macon, Georgia? Was that him? One of the classic uh, uh, rock and roll legends was was born there. I thought Macon. But I mean, there's. I mean, Macon's has been famous in Southern music for forever since Southern music was around. So there's a recording studio, isn't it? So, it's anyway. weird that they should they should both be perish at roughly the same spot, though, isn't it? Uh, and both on motorbikes. Yeah, well, almost akin to um, Mark Bolan, of course. He died yeah. 16th of September 1977 in his mini, well, driven by his girlfriend Gloria wow. Jones, and Ringo. Yeah. Ringo um, and Barbara Buck very nearly suffered the same fate um, many years afterwards at exactly the same spot. So, obviously, um, not a place to be driving a mini. And they should put up a few, a few warning bike. signs, I think, around yeah. that area now. <laughs> um, okay, so sorry, Austin, you were about to say something. 
Oh, I, I would call Eat a Peach um, the quintessential Almond Studio album. I, I think it's uh, like uh, coming so soon after um, uh, the Live at the Fillmore East. Um, uh, I think it's uh, probably their strongest uh, set, studio yeah. set from, uh, from that era. Um, yeah, so if you were, if you're, if you're going to, Listen to uh, Allman's, uh yeah, a studio release. That Eat a Peach is the one. Did you have Eat a Peach in your ten? Uh, in my reserve list. In your reserve list. Okay. Well, let's. Uh, we've got about fifteen minutes then before you've got to go. So, do you want to just yep quickly run through your last three? Maybe one of us has sure got thing. one of them in. Okay. Well, you probably have Neil Young Harvest. Yes, that's, uh, my number, that's my number 10. So that's that one. Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, obviously uh, it's, uh, it's a very famous album, rightfully so. It was Neil Young's, uh, I think, probably his, his biggest selling album. Um, and his star had been rising uh, through Buffalo Springfield and his association with Crosby, Stills, Nash, Young. Uh, and I don't know if he'd actually left the band at uh, at this point or was yeah, still had. involved with them. He he had no, left he, the band, no, but left. he was he was twenty four years old. He was twenty four years old. Like that's that's something to keep in mind when you're, when you're listening back to this stuff. Like uh, <laughs> I, I think we just don't grow up as quickly as we used to because <laughs> what twenty four years old being older than that. that. Don't you? I was thinking of him as being older than that when he when he did yeah. that. That's weird. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, yeah, surprising maturity uh, in uh, the the songwriting there, um, and it's got range. They threw uh, an orchestra behind a couple of the tracks, and which yeah, I'm not sure about. Uh, There's a world. Um, it certainly love, certainly sounds big. Well, I there you go. It. You you love it? No, oh, there yeah, you go. I love so, it. And yeah. I love Man Needs a Maid. They're two of my favorite tracks. Uh-huh. Yeah, I I love Man Needs a Maid. That's it. That's a great song. Um, and uh, yeah, there's. It's just it's it's also very raw. In out on the weekend, uh, right at the end of the uh, the the first chorus, uh, the line is he tries to speak and can't begin to say, and you actually hear something rubbing. Uh, across the grill of one of the uh, the, <laughs> the microphones, you hear it on the right speaker, and it's there in the mix, yeah. uh, just like a kind of sound. Um, I'll do it on my mic. I don't know if you can hear that, but um, <laughs> it's just like it's kind of hilarious to hear and go, "Oh wow, you know, like like this is like real things that are happening here. <laughs> you know, this like this isn't a real event. You're hearing it, and uh, you have that." Um, that accident and you, and the accident is there on the final document. So it's, it, it's very, and it doesn't take away from it. Probably most people don't even know what the hell I'm talking about, but no. uh, I just, yeah, I find it you, um, like just well, the, very, very amusing. Those little accidents are good, aren't they? Yeah, they're good. It's got an association with Essex, Colin. Did you know this? Um, because the, um, the, uh, the two orchestral tracks, are recorded at Barking Town Hall mm. with the London Symphony Orchestra. That's a man needs a maid, yeah? Yeah, man needs a maid. And there's, and a, there's world. a world, yeah, yeah, okay. And then Needle and the Damage oh, Done is basically about heroin addiction, but it's, he kind of, he's writing it about Danny Whitten, isn't he? Danny Whitten, uh, yeah. 
yeah, because Danny Whitman's uh, suffering badly. And Linda Ronstadt's on it, and James Taylor. So it's a bit of a who's who of the stars of the of the time, isn't it? And Stills so and Crosby and Nash, of course. Austin. They're all on there yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting what Austin said about the accidents that happen and the, that they left in. The classic one, of course, with Sting on Roxanne and when he sits on the piano. Have we mentioned that one before? Yeah, we, yeah in the 1978 uh, episode. Yeah, when he, he sits down onto the, onto the piano and this enormous, obviously, noise of the keys going down. It's left it left in and you hear him laughing after it. Uh, and and he's, right. he's credited as playing butt piano uh, on the sleeve, <laughs> I think. And also, the one... I, yeah, he pick it out. I'm sure you picked it out as well. I think it's on Purple Haze, is it? Jimi Hendrix at the start, just before he starts to sing, you hear him clear his throat or cough. I love that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, Holler Love starts with a Robert Plant cough. So. All oh, right. Okay. Right. Yeah, Harvest, Neil Young. Uh, yeah. I think that's my favorite of his albums, actually. It's not yeah. my favorite, but it's up there in the top two or three. Got another couple then? Austin, I, I do. So sure this uh, this next one uh, is a uh, fairly obscure band uh, from the states by the name of Bulldog, and they Ooh. they rose up out of the the ashes of the Young Rascals or Rascals, Rascals um, who and, had yeah. A, yeah a couple of hits with uh, Good Loving and Grooving. Uh, and Grooving Grooving. on a Sunday afternoon. That's it. Yeah. So they. Uh, um, Felix Cavalieri and I can't remember the other guy um, uh, pulled a new band together, called it Bulldog, uh, and uh, put together a rock and album um, and led the album. I think it might have even been intended for the first single, uh, a cover, a barnstorming cover of Rock and Robin. And they did that right at the same time that uh, the Jackson Five uh, released their own version of Rock and Robin, which uh, which stormed up the charts. So, so kind of got toodly yeah, diddly diddly. yeah. So on. You you really should check out the Bulldog version. Uh, What's the name of the album? Const- Sorry, Austin. It's just, it's self titled. Just called Bulldog, Bulldog nineteen seventy two. Uh, but you won't find it on Spotify, uh, and if you're lucky, you can find a copy that someone has uh, digitized off a uh, turntable. Like there is no uh, official uh, digital transfer of this album, um, but it is well worth uh, checking out. Um, Does it really exist? It's, it's not on those. <laughs> Yeah, you might you might wonder. It's uh, it exists in analog land, uh, a All place right, you okay. might have heard. Of, Colin. Yeah, yeah, I know. It, it, it exists in the real world. In, so that in, new in, record of yours is going to be uh, living in, isn't that's, it? In analog. Land. You, that's right. That's right. You won't find that one on Spotify either. Um, no. So okay. yeah, uh, not not much else to say about it, um, but uh, great solid forgotten rock. Rolling Stones. Uh, top 500 list should have it, but they won't. It won't be one of the ones that they put above uh, Paul Simon's album. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, they were popular in Australia, uh, which is how uh, somehow, I, I, I don't know uh, 
what kind of foothold they got, but uh, but the album did sell, it got its own uh, local pressing. Um, but well, they pretty much well. sank. I'm going to have to look this up because I've literally never heard of them. So um, that's a bit of a Yeah, yeah. But they they sank without a trace. They did a second album. They got dropped from MCA. Did a second album on Buddha Records and then disbanded. So that was uh, that was the end of that. And uh, went off to do other things with their lives. Um, I, I don't think um, I don't think any of them had any kind of prominent. Um, uh, like musical acts after that, I think uh, the uh, uh, the Rascals guys went back and did Rascals reunions and and that sort of thing. So there you have it, Bulldog, the, uh, Bulldog, the very, yeah. very 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 short and obscure story of Bulldog. So so okay. that's uh, my second well, last pick and my stories. yeah final pick, uh, Canadian band, live album. Guess who live at the Paramount? Um, and the guests who, and they had just a year or two before had a big hit with American woman who, if everyone didn't know that, uh, original song would know it from Lenny Kravitz's cover in far inferior cover at that. Um, I love, uh, not, not to, uh, to the Pat Finity YouTube channel for, uh, for taking the Mickey out of, uh, Lenny Kravitz for his, uh, terrible cover version, um, <laughs> but then the, uh, the 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 guy who was the real dynamo, um, Randy Buckman, guitarist Randy Buckman, uh, left because uh, he uh, didn't like the debauchery of uh, of the rock and roll lifestyle. Um, and then, ironically, came back for more with his own band. But they had to kind of reconvene, and they they. Filled Buckman's shoes with two guitarists, uh, I believe, and uh, and singer Burton Cummings, who's also a very fine piano player, um, okay. uh, was still on board. So they had a they had a great outfit, and uh, America wanted to hear American Woman, or American audiences wanted to hear that. So uh, they quickly uh, can like. R- uh, convened the, uh, the the new lineup and uh, and uh, went out and uh, I, I don't know what inspired them to to record this uh, uh, live set because uh, it, it'd be the last thing on my mind if I had a new band, but they mm. did and, and the results are spectacular. Um, it's seventeen uh, minutes worth of American Woman I noticed on the album. Yeah, Roughly. yeah, big uh, big jam out kind of audience participation-y sort of uh, middle section. It's, it's listenable. It's not, it, it, I don't, I don't play side two as much as I play side one. Uh, so side two is American, that 17 minute American woman and uh, trucking off across the sky. But uh, oh, yeah. side, side one uh, is just uh, unbelievably great. It's uh, the, the performances are just stellar. They're um that they're they're really on fire. The audience is lapping it up. Um, Burton Cummings, his his voice is a wonder to listen to. He really did have a very fine instrument. Um, and their songs are quirky as hell. They are quirky as hell. Um, and, and it's amazing what they do with them. So it's I think quirky. it's 
quirky. Yeah, bit. it's 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 one of those things where if you want to hear the range of what you know some people can do with rock and roll, if you want to you know um, explore the edges a bit, this is this is a great band for it. It's really really solid, but it's it's just off on its own little universe. And what's it called? Live at the Paramount. Yeah, live live at the Paramount. I have to look. I have to look that up because I, I I love American Woman. I think it's a great track. So it's not right, obvious. I'll, I'll put that on the list. If you're if you're listening on Spotify, you wouldn't see this, but Pete's eyes lit up when I mentioned that it was 17 minutes long because that's that's right up his strasser. It's right 17 minutes strata. song. Yeah, if it's a 17 minute song, it's just getting going then. It's just getting going <laughs> for the All right. before the chorus comes in. Chorus, chorus. Yes. Okay, so um, right. So, so that is, thank that you. you. That's you done now. Yeah, that, that's me. That's my turn. Yeah. Uh, thank you for having me on. Um, and uh, you, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll have to I have to listen in uh, to to hear the last of your selections. Yeah, the last uh, of the and, few. Yeah. I might. Yeah, you right. might be on next week anyway. I think at the moment. Well, we'll see. We've got to we've got to work mm. work that one round. But hopefully, we won't be on next week. Sounds good. Ta for now. Okay. All right. Cheers, Cheers Austin. I didn't have Bulldog down on my list, Pete, I must admit. Uh, no, I did. I've never, no, literally never I, heard no, it. I've never heard and it. I've, I've heard, heard of, of most albums, you know, somewhere down the line, but yeah. that I literally had never heard of. But it's good there's, there's some different ones coming up, and yeah, I, I've yeah, tried yeah. to yeah, have absolutely. some different ones. Okay, I'm just going to throw one in here. And one of my favourite songwriters, Randy Newman. Oh, I thought you might have Randy Newman. Uh, from May 72, and it's his third album, Sail Away. Yeah. Would you say Randy that's Newman best? songs, of course. But may, m- most of them, a lot of them have already been recorded by other artists because yes. that's, that's yeah, yeah. the way yeah. he rolled back then, wasn't it? Like yeah. Alan Price did um, Simon Smith and his yeah. Amazing Dancing Amazing Dancing Bear, is it? Yeah, something like that anyway. Uh, Dayton, Ohio was sung by a single by Billy J. Kramer. Harry Nilsson actually did Simon Smith as well. And, of course, or later on, Joe Cocker did You Can Leave Your Hat On in 86. And, of course, in the full Monty, you've got Tom Jones's version of it as well. Um, what else is there? Uh, oh, Lonely at the Top which was written with Frank Sinatra in mind, apparently, though he never recorded, mm. recorded it. This was, you're pleased to know, in Rolling Stone's list as well, Sail Away, Randy Newman, number 268. Oh, okay. Exactly yeah, he's one of those 200 who... behind Paul Simon <laughs> in, well, the, in the latter ones. However however good Randy Newman is, he's you don't not think he's in there. No, but I mean, that... No. that I, I, I saw that was on there, and I'm not a huge fan, but if I chose a Randy Newman album, it, it would be that one. Yeah, it was, um, it was a good one. Brian Wilson yeah. liked it. Brian Wilson was profoundly affected uh, by the release, kept him from sliding further into depression and mental illness, apparently. Blimey. Well, that's... Uh, you'd never see, uh, never see Burn, Randy as a uh, class psychologist, would you? No, Burn On was heard on the opening credits of the major league film in 1989, uh, principally because it was the only song that the director, David Ward, I think I can read my writing, uh, knew was actually about Ohio. Um, but that was that. Was that. Uh, it had Ry Cooder on slide guitar on a couple of tracks, um, including uh, you, can put your hat, you Can Leave Your Hat On. And this was a total flop in the UK, needless to say. 
Australia and America. Australia wins, got to number 42. America was only 163. But Sail Away is Randy Newman, and that's my next one. I'm I'm well behind everybody else, of course, but because as far as I can see, you're 10. You must only have two left, is that right? Yeah, I've got two left. Okay. And I've got probably three. One, two, three, four. No, I've actually got four. But yeah, carry on. Shall I do another one? Do another one. Yeah, go on. You do another one, and then I'll I'll do do another one. All right. Um, uh, T Rex. Yeah, I've got that on my list as ones I thought you'd have. That's his slider, isn't it? The slider, yeah, from July 72. Their actual seventh album, in fact, since their uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex debut in 68, and some of the ridiculously long album titles that maybe you can remember that I can't. It was the third under the name. Fair and wore stars in their hair, but now they are something else and wear stars on their brows. That one, something like that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It was their third album under the name T Rex, the abbreviated yeah. T Rex. Uh, two number one singles were issued to promote the album, and uh, they were, of course, Telegram Sam and Metal Guru. Which Telegram I Sam. Yeah, both singles, both number one. 67 only in the US Telegram, Sam. Metal Guru didn't get anywhere. Whether or not it was even released, I don't know. Metal Guru is my favourite T-Rex single. It's a great song, isn't it? Yeah, it's a great song. Uh, As Mark Mark Boland called it, a festival of life song. I'm sure. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, He related it to all gods around Someone special, a godhead, I thought how God would be. He'd be all alone without a telephone. Probably. <laughs> I mean, I said, he was very poetic, was Bowling. Well, either very poetic or very drunk or very high or possibly all of those all things. All of them, yeah. Ringo was credited, reported to have taken the front and back sleeve photos on the album though that's disputed but okay. uh they were filming born to boogie at the time ringo and mark Bowden, so it's it's feasible he was he was involved in it isn't that the one where has he got a pan on his head or something what born to boogie or the uh no, on, the, on the front of on, on the front of the slider isn't as isn't it kind of him sitting and he's got some kind of weird hat thing going on he's got a hat on yeah is it, is it a pan I mean, it, it's it, just it a, looks like a saucepan i mean it, i'm, I'm well, sure maybe. Hat, but it looks like he's I got a saucepan even thought on about that, to be honest he whipped around at ikea before the shoot but anyway yeah <laughs> i wore out because ikea didn't you'd have to, no you'd have to put it together then wouldn't you <laughs> <laughs> in in uh, in the US, it was promoted um, upon the album was promoted uh, upon its release with a TV commercial featuring the band miming to this song from the album Chariot Chugi, which was produced by the aforementioned earlier on Tony Visconti. Mm. Well, there we go. Um, yeah, that's uh, about it, really. I don't want to waste time. Um, say anymore a few of the other tracks have been in movies ballroom of mars was in school of rock in 2003 and in dallas buyers club in 2013 um the i say visconti probably can be credited for a large chunk of mark bone's success i think with the arrangements and the production of his songs but after 72 he's sort of 
was on a bit of the wane, I think, wasn't he? Like yeah, the slider. Yes. T-Rex, the slider for me. So you've got a couple more. I have. And I'll so, swiftly go through my um, So this one was the third album by this particular English band who were a mixture of folk, hard rock, and arguably prog. And this was voted by Sounds magazine, the album of the year. And in 2011, Steve Harris, the guitarist of Iron Maiden, said, if you want to understand Iron Maiden's sound, listen to Argus by Wishbone Ash. Okay, I mentioned Argus. I don't think. Huh? I mentioned Argus earlier when I got confused with um, oh, uh, yeah, Uriah yeah. Heat, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, and and they, they are credited with pioneering the twin lead guitar harmonisation sound, which is what Steve Harris is referring to. He said, and then Finn Lizzy did it as well. So they were kind of like the pioneers with Martin Turner and um, whoever the and Andy, is it Andy uh, and Andy King is it Andy King and Martin Turner? I can't remember. Anyway, they um, and they they pioneer that uh, that two that two guitar sound. Andy um, Powell and Ted Turner. Andy Powell, Andy Powell. Yeah, that's no, all right. Martin Turner yeah. writes the lyrics, and Ted Turner and and yeah. Andy Martin Turner on bass guitar. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. There's two Turners. It gets very really confusing. Yeah, yes. so Martin Turner writes all the lyrics. And then but no backman in this band. At least there's no backman. No, so we're all right with that one. <laughs> um, yeah. So Martin Turner writes the lyrics, and then it's it's Powell and and um, the the um, uh, the other Turner who who, who play guitar. Um, it it's kind it kind of got tagged as a prog concept album because when you listen to all the songs, they're kind of medieval themed to a degree so you've got the king will come time wars throw down the sword blowing free they've all got a bit of a kind of mystical um medieval thing about them i mean that you know the big the, the the song that gets played all the time is blowing free that's that that's the one that the album is known for actually i think the best track is the king will come um and i've got a brilliant album which has been discontinued sadly called night of the guitars which was released in the either the late 80s or the early 90s and um it's kind of like every guitarist you ever knew all together on stage at the end um and it's one of these kind of compilation things and there's a brilliant version of of uh, the king will come on that um so it, it, it's a song that's very dear to my heart um but uh, yeah, blowing free is great. Time was it's a it's a really good uh, really good album. So that had to be in there too. Okay, Argus. You mentioned Steve Harris. I don't know if that's the guy that Slim Nick used to mention because he, he used to work in a guitar shop selling guitars, obviously in the eighties. And a guy came in to the store and asked for a special guitar, which they didn't have, uh, and he Nick told him right yeah we could we could order it in special order get it in and um but yeah i it won't be for a few days or whatever he ended up ringing him uh, he gave him his number he rang him and he 
he went round to his Nick's mum's house where Nick was, and uh, there he was, and he, he, to collect the guitar when it when it arrived. And fair enough. And his mum was making uh, making him tea and biscuits and sandwiches or whatever. And they were chatting. Nick was chatting away. So do you know what you, you know? This is a nice guitar, nice guitar. He says, "Yeah, you mind if I play?" And he, he gave it a little go. And so, yeah, you you play locally? Do you play in a band? He says, "Yeah, yeah, I play in a band." Oh, what are you called? He goes, "Iron Maiden." <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know whether it was Steve Harris. He's a bass guitarist, wasn't he? <laughs> no, no, Steve, Steve Harris is the guitarist, isn't he? Oh, oh right, okay, fair oh, enough. Maiden. No, I, I'm not sure either. But there he was on a porch Ham. outside in this council estate, you know, and all the kids looking at the porch. Uh, and that was it. Right. Okay. Why would we know? No, indeed. Uh, right. Let's uh, quickly move on. I have, I, I've got to go for this. Although it's not my favourite of their albums, I've had to go for it because it's 72. It was the debut album by Eagles. Yes, I've got that down as a That's a Colin album. It's a me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm glad I'm not predictable either. Uh, yeah, June 72, mostly recorded at Olympic Studios. Strangely, is the most American-sounding album, oh, American-sounding really band, but it was recorded in <laughs> Olympic Studios in southwest London. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. In Hammersmith or something like that. Well, that's weird. the same with America, isn't it? Didn't America record a lot of their stuff over here because they were in the military, they were US Army, weren't they? The US they Army. They were sons. They were kids yeah. of the uh, US Army. Yeah, America. Yeah. They sound like a big American band, but... And, and they recorded um, everything. They, yeah. Well, one of them was, was born in Yorkshire, I think, America. Uh, the other two were born in America, but they were here because their parent, their dad was yeah. stationed here. Produced by Glyn Johns, uh, the debut album, uh, nothing in the UK. US got to number 22, but it had three top four singles, top top 40 singles, I should say, in the US. Take It Easy, number 12, Witchy Woman, number nine, and Peaceful, Easy Feeling. Some great songs on there. And that uh, got to Witchy, Woman is, Witchy Woman is probably my favourite Eagles track. Yeah, it's great. It's a great, it's quite rocky, isn't it? But it's also, uh, I, I really like the words. I just think it's a really clever song. Yeah, it is, it is a good song. And we yeah, had lyrically, it was a good song too. Um, was that, I think it was the only Don Henley sung song on the album until uh, I think the one track they didn't record in Olympic Sitters, they added it on in LA, and that was Nightingale. And I think Don Henley sang that. But other than that, I think Witchy Woman was the only Don Henley song, sung song, I should say. I can't think of Nightingale off the top of my head. I'd, I'd recognise it. No, way. it's not one of the classics from the album, I must admit. But the, I mean, there's some, the three that I mentioned there, obviously, Chuggle Night uh, is another rocky one, I think. But they, they wanted to go a bit more rocky after after this, this album, but they didn't yeah. until On the Border, really, in 74, no, no. when they got Don Felder in to play Sly Guitar and stuff. But, oh, Train He Leaves Here This Morning is a great song as well. Bernie Leiden. Uh, yes, country, yeah, yeah. country yeah, song too. Yeah, so yeah. that's Eagles for me. And uh, oh, I'm going to do another one. You've only got one left, haven't you? From your ten, yeah. anyway. Um, another one. I uh, maybe a rare one. You might not expect me to have, but it's Nick Drake and Pink Moon. Ah, uh, no, I saw that Pink Moon came out, but I don't know it well enough to include it. I thought you might have it, but I'm betting it's on Graham's list. 
Uh, it is on Graham's list, I think, yeah. I'm getting pretty good at guessing this. It didn't make uh, it didn't make many albums, obviously. Uh, poor guy um, who was probably dead within two years after uh, after this had been made. It was his yes, third final was Brighter album. Later, was that before or after? Brighter Later was before. Yeah, this was the third one. You had Five Leaves Left and Brighter Later, I That's think, right. in that order. And then yeah. Uh, the lyrics are attributed to Drake's ongoing battle with depression. It's a very short album, only 28 minutes. Yep. Didn't sell well in his lifetime, but this, this is sort of one of the ones I was hinting at with, with Austin that wouldn't necessarily be in 10, 15 years ago, might not have been in the all-time list, but now it's revered. It's yes. Nick Drake and, and Pink Moon. Uh, so it's it's garnered significant critical acclaim a long time after it was recorded. Uh, the fact that he he didn't like to perform live or engage in any album promotion didn't help the album sales of either of his first two albums or this one really. Uh, but he wanted to make this one as plain as possible. So it was just him and acoustic guitar, and I'm sure you'd like it actually if you actually took a listen to it. Yeah, I, I think I, I I have heard it. One of my mates from school, or not from school, but from Buckhurst Hill, I mean, he, mm. he was a Nick Drake fan, and I'm sure that I listened to it then. I, I haven't heard it for years. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll... Yeah, you probably have stuff, heard it. But yeah, you might like know that, the title I'll track. To, might know the title track, if nothing else. Stuff like that, I'll be yeah. called, get old for Recorded in only two late-night sessions, just his voice and an acoustic guitar, and... He created in those two sessions what many consider to be one of the most influential folk albums of all time. Now, Rolling Stone do have this in their list, and yeah. it's in the most recent list of 2020, number 201. It's quite high up. It went, it's gone gold in the UK, but it's not been a hit anywhere. No. So Nick Drake and Pink Moon. And you got one more? I have. Can whiz through these two quickly then, and then I've got two which I'll just throw in because I'll be just throw the names in. Yeah, are on the list from others. Yes, yeah, so my last one um, is the seventh album by this band, um, number six in the UK, number forty-six in the US. One single called Free Four F R E E Four, as in the number four, um, and it is obscured by Clouds by Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd. Um, it served as the soundtrack to La Vallée by Barbette Schroeder. Um, now, based on what Colin, uh, no, you're Colin, uh, based on what Austin, Austin was saying earlier, um, it was recorded in two sessions in France while they were on tour at the Chateau. That at the Chateau, Chateau, the Honky Chateau. Was, uh, was recorded at. And that was because they recorded it while they were on tour, but they'd also started recording Dark Side of the Moon. So it was kind of it was it was almost like a not an afterthought album, but it was done as a thing. And and some Floyd fans and some music critics see it as a bit of fluff and not something um at all. Um and then others think it's a really interesting piece of work. But the interesting thing for me is that it's got quite a lot of country influences on it. Um, and as you know, I'm not a massive fan of country. I like country rock, you know, the kind of Eagles, Doobies kind of sound. Um, but actually, it's got a lot of kind of acoustic guitar. And it's also quite groundbreaking in that Nick Mason plays electric drums on it. And actually, in an interview, Nick Mason says that it's one of his favourite Floyd albums. 
So mm. it's it's kind of, it's a Marmite album. I I always liked it. Again, it was one of the things I bought on cassette, you know, because it was cheap. Played it a few times and thought, you know, it's just I like this. Then I saw the film. <laughs> then the cassette I broke. How, eh? Then the cassette broke. Yeah, yeah had to get a pencil. Had to get a pencil um, out. So, um, but I but I saw the film and I thought, well, it really works with the film. It you can understand why as a piece of music it works as a film score. Um, so yeah, it, you know, if Pink Floyd have got an album out that year, I'm going to choose it. So um, okay, it was, fair uh, enough. But it was yeah, it was the, it was the it was my number eight because obviously Toulouse Street and Harvest. Um, we're taken. By, um, okay, but that's your 10 at least. So we've yeah, got so Austin 10, Pete 10, me 9. I've got one other. Now, g- given that there were some classic albums that year and ones I've left off because I thought either everyone's going to have them or um, they're so obvious and yeah. we talked about them so much at length. I'm very surprised that um, Austin didn't have Never a Dull Moment by Rod Stewart in there. Well, I saw that was on the list and thought, well, there's no point having that because we've we just done Rod Stewart, and of course the uh, probably the best Stones album ever. Yeah, Exile on Main <laughs> Exile Street. Exile on Main Street. Yeah, I saw that and thought that that's going to be picked by either Colin or. Uh, yeah, or it just seems a shame not to mention it. So I've mentioned it, of course. Uh, other ones I've got on this long list that I haven't picked. So I just want personal so is Exile, one. Is Exile your number ten? No, it's not. I haven't got right. them. I, these are ones, never a dull moment. The, the ones I've got that aren't in the 10, never a dull moment, Exxon on Main Street, Can't Buy a Thrill, Roxy Music, Honky yes, Shadow. I've got, I've got Roxy. I've got Roxy on my list, my additional list. Additional list, Honky Chateau, Toulouse Street, Talking Book, of course. Yeah, I thought you'd have that. Transformer. Yeah, that's on my reserve list. Uh, um, something, anything, Todd Rundgren. And I've, I've thrown another one that I didn't think anyone would have, but I put Catch Bullet for Catch Stevens because I love that album as well. I've gone totally personal with, with this last one because I think other than having The Hard Day's Night in 1964 bought for me, and that was the first album I ever had, the only thing I remember, or Best of the Seekers, I think I was bought, only, the only other albums I had in the 60s were Black and White Minstrels albums. Yes. I had about two or three of those. Yeah. We, we won't. We won't go into Let's not go down that in seventy two. Seventy two. I was maybe a bit late getting it, but maybe I've got Mungo Jerry albums as well, but they were probably from seventy one. The album I've gotten was probably the first I remember having pop album, if you like, around the times I started to buy stuff. I probably didn't go out and buy this, but uh you'll be surprised. I've gone for Gilbert O'Sullivan back to front. Okay. That surprised you, hasn't it? That, it came out at the end of 72. No, it's his second it's album. It's a very good songwriter. Yeah. Um, he, by this time, he'd abandoned his sort of distinctive dress sense where he used to wear a short cap and short trousers, didn't he? Or short pants. Um, but instead, he went for the, like, sweaters and the, I don't know, uh, hairy-chested and... Almost with with a and the big jumpers with a G on it. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, uh, I vaguely remember. Became I, I almost a bit to, of a sex symbol. I always used to mistake Gilbert, and, and, and for no reason that makes any sense, I always used to mistake Gilbert O'Sullivan and Leo Sayer. They kind of they felt as though they should be the same person. They both <laughs> had big hair in the end, didn't they? I realise they're not. <laughs> they're not, but they were both good songwriters. I'll give them. I'll they give were. them that. Yeah. 
But like his debut album himself, which is a good album too, actually, the tunes combined sort of, they were like show tune inspired pop music with string arrangements. Yeah. Um, his lyrical. Dis- he was. His, start, his start of lyrics displayed a sort of uh, observational. Um, Yep. What they what they call kitchen sink style. I don't know whether that makes any yeah. sense to you. Yeah, uh, but like a humorous twists and and yeah. and many musical and lyrical uh, influences, including Fats Domino, for example. It was a number one in the UK, number twenty two in Australia. Nothing in the states. Uh, Claire was the big single from it. That also got to number one in the UK. Um, double track vocals on the album like previous single there was a track released i'm sure you would hate it it's called ooh whack a do whack a day i, d- I you do might remember, remember that, that one vaguely. might have used it on an advert might have used it on an advert was a favorite. <laughs> no but that was a non-album single from the sessions that also got to number eight um and the guy from um rolling stone robert I don't know how to pronounce his name, but it's spelt Christ. And then, uh, uh, no, I can't. I can't even read it. Oh, G A U, Christgau, 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 Christgau. I don't know. But he said his when reviewing the album, he said Gilbert certainly hasn't turned into a major annoyance yet. <laughs> what a nice thing <laughs> to say. Bit of a backhanded compliment, really. <laughs> yes, very, very backhanded. To be fair, it was because on, when he had previously claimed after the first album that he might end up being an annoying. <laughs> um, but that, that's what I've gone back to front. So that, that's a real, a real curveball there, I think. Given okay, all these so other I'll... classic albums. Um, I've got... So let me... Let me chuck in my... Throw the names in. out and I'll read these other ones out quickly before we finish. Right, so the other ones that we haven't that we haven't talked about at all. So so yep. I've got Made in Japan by Deep Purple, that w- which we mentioned. Yep. So yep. There, I've got four others. I've got Waterloo Lily by Caravan, which was the follow-up to The Land of Grand Pink, another prog classic. Okay. Um, one for uh, Chris, which is Sailing Shoes, Little Feet. Oh, Little Feet, yeah. Um... Another prog classic, uh, Thick as a Brick, Jethro Tull. Jethro Tull, yep. With the big newspaper. Uh, and then my curveball, which um, no one it's would It's little Jimmy Osman, isn't it? It is. Uh, it's little Jimmy Osman. No, it is 666 by Aphrodite's Child. Oh. Which um, is... Demis Roussos? Demis Roussos, yeah. Demis Roussos on vocal. And, yeah, but that, that album is fantastic. It's a really, really good album. Greek it's a bit prog. Is that Greek prog? It's Greek prog. So well, you've got Greek you go. prog. I've I've got some Greek prog. I've got some. I've got some. Uh, I, I didn't have anything but PFM. But they did have an album that year, so I could have had some Italian prog as well. But I stuck with the Brits. But anyway, so that yeah, they're my others. Excellent. It's all it's all Greek to me. Aphrodite's child. Okay, well, I've got yeah a few quickly to read out here. Bobby, I don't think it's his real name. Bobby Seal. Um, I know he's. I know he's a. He's a Scot. I know that for a fact. Uh, some classics here: Exile on Main Street, Ziggy Stardust, Never a Dull Moment, Superfly. No one's mentioned Curtis Mayfield, oh, Pink yeah. Moon, Nick Drake, Transformer, Lou Reed, Roxy Music, Talking Book, Harvest, and Number One Record by Big Star. It's another one I could have had. Yes, I, I don't know. I saw it within the no, list. I don't about know that, it. Yeah. So. Graham, um, you probably recognise all of these and probably can guess them. 
Um, Ziggy Stardust, Exile on Main Street, Can't Buy a Thrill, Talking Book, Transformer, Pink Moon, Number One Record, Sailing Shoes, Roxy Music, Eat a Peach, Something Anything. I sort of mentioned that, Todd Rungan. That's uh, uh, Todd Rungan, isn't it? And, and I don't know how to pronounce this, but Can. You probably know the one I'm talking about. Um, yes, that, that's the one with the red can on it. E- yeah. E-G-E and then Bam Yasi, is it? Is it? No, I don't know. No Not sure how to pronounce it. Um, Barbie, it's given, and these are in order. It looks like 10. Talking book. Uh, I'm still in love with you, Al Green. Still Bill, Bill Withers. Good-hearted woman, Waylon Jennings. The world is a ghetto war. I know, I saw that. that, that, that I, I thought about putting that one in because that's a good album. Exile on Main Street, of course, Rolling Stones, Young, Gifted and Black, Aretha Franklin, Blue Oyster Cult, that's to be self-titled. Roxy Music, similarly self-titled. Transformer at number one. And a few others here. Somebody called, I can't, I can't my writing, or my eyes, one of the two. It looks like False is the name, False, F-A-L-C-E. Uh, Ziggy Stardust, that can album again. Someone tell us how to pronounce it. That doesn't work when you write it down, though, I guess. Harvest, Neil Young, Transformer, uh, On the Corner, Miles Davis, Talking Book, Stevie Wonder, The Slider, T-Rex, Noi, by Noi, number one record again, big star. Logan, Let's Stay Together, Al Green, Harvest, Superfly, Eagles, Toulouse Street, Europe 72, Grateful Dead, Honky Chateau, Will the Circle Be Unbroken, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. That's a good album. I assume they're all in 72. I haven't checked all of these, but I'm sure they are. As you're going through them, I remember, because I went through the list. went through the list. Good Hearted Woman again, Waylon Jennings. And finally, Katrina, Ziggy, Thick as a Brick, Honky Chateau, Harvest, Machine Head, Pink Moon, Superfly, Young, Gifted and Black, Observed by Clouds, Obscured by Clouds, sorry, yeah, yeah. you had that. Seventh Sojourn, Moody Blues. Yeah. Jackson Brown, Jackson Brown, self-titled. For the Roses, Joni Mitchell. Know that one? Uh, Blue Oyster Cult again, and Roxy Music. And that completes the voting. That does. And Norway got no final again. Yes. And I don't know how the Ukraine got on against Scotland tonight. So, right. No. Thank you very much, sir. I thank you very much, Austin. No, you're not here at the moment, but thank you very much. I'm sure you're listening or watching this at some stage. And uh, yeah, a classic year for 72 and a lot of albums. A lot that I could have put in there, as I mean, I said at the end, that maybe we should have had in. But we have mentioned so much. We yeah. can't keep talking about the same albums all the time. Hence, Gilbert O'Sullivan gets in there. So. Indeed. With the big G. Thanks. Just mixing right. it. Thank you very much from Riyadh, Pete. Yes. It I must be, what so. was it now? T- uh, 2 a.m.? It's uh, it's 2 a.m., but I haven't got to get up at stupid o'clock. Uh, and at so you can tune into Big C tomorrow morning on CBW I, I Radio. I might well tune into Big C tomorrow morning. I'll just tell you what the temperature's doing at 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's only 29 it's degrees now. 29 degrees, so it's still in the 90s, then, isn't it, probably? Yeah, it's, it's, it's only 29. So. Right, but on, on that note, this podcast will be posted to uh, all the usual fora over the weekend uh, by the, the man himself, Shaggy. Uh, that will be Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, uh, Apple Podcasts. Is it something like that? Yeah, Breaker, 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 Breaker. Uh, there's a song by The Outlaws. 
And uh, yeah, eventually we will be on the BBC. Okay, we will indeed. So uh, we've been rocking all over the world tonight. Yeah. Uh, we better say cheerio, I think. So all I can say now is it's a good night from me. And it's a good night from him. Not half. And it's a good night. Not half. It's a good night from Austin as well. Thank you very much. See you guys. Cheers.